Dear listeners, and a very warm welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films. I am your host, Lasse Vogt, and it has been a while since the last interview, but I couldn't be more excited because of the guests I've got this time. Two composers who have been working in the industry for years now and recently swept the charts with the latest score for a very popular Netflix series. I very proudly present today the composers of The Witcher, Sonia Belosova and Giona Ostinelli. Hi everyone, Sonia here. And hi everybody, this is John Ostinelli here. We're so excited to be here <laughs> with you today. Hi Lasse, uh, fire away, we're ready. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. I, like I said, I'm also very, very excited too, because your score for The Witcher was one of my favorites of last year. I know the, the album uh, hasn't, hadn't come out until 2020, but I was still counting it as a 2019 score because of the series that came out in 2019. So uh, it it was a, a great joy to listen to. I was so happy when the album came out and I was even more happy when you agreed to do this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for all the kind words. It really means a lot. Really appreciate everything. <laughs> Thank you very much. So what I wanted to ask is uh, how did you both end up as composers like what was the moment you both felt like this is what i want to do well i'm gonna start i guess you start yeah i think it was always a natural process for me uh my parents brought me to the music school when i was five and i started playing piano right away i started taking formal composition lessons when i was 10 so basically as soon as i started playing the piano i was already composing something first i guess it was unconsciously and then as soon as i started taking formal composition lessons it became of course consciously so my life was always full of composing and uh, i always loved of course concert composition but What I preferred even more was music for films because I was always into that type of music that was developing a certain storyline, telling a story. So I guess at a certain point, it was just music for films for me, which was a natural choice and a natural evolution. Yeah, for me, it was a bit different because I started as well, start playing uh, drums when I was very young at five and then piano and I started playing with bands, a lot of bands, but... I like playing with bands, but I've always been fascinated with the music for film because I've always been a huge fan of films and that's always what I wanted to do. I've always been interested in playing with bands, but I always had that secret uh, dream of doing music for films. And then I started focusing more and more into uh, how to achieve that and you know, focusing more on composition and all of that. And then step by step, it led me to here. Oh, that's, that's great. And uh, I noticed that your history in scoring projects together goes back a couple of years now. How did that start and what was the first score you did together? Well, it started about uh, nine well, years ago. It started ago. a while ago, but I think the first film that we actually did together, wasn't it the David Mamet's film? Yeah, it was a David Mamet film. and The it film was called Two Beat Walls. And it required... I was approached to score it and it required a very eclectic and uh, uh, diverse score from bluegrass music to virtuoso piano. I play piano but I'm no virtuoso and you know I always, uh, I don't like faking things so I was like I I'm not gonna fake being a virtuoso piano and I was like 
I know Sonia, she's an amazing uh, composer and she's an amazing virtuosi pianist. So I asked her, so like, would you mind working together on this uh, virtuosic piano cues for this film? And, and that, that led one cue after another. Yeah, and I remember Joanna calling me and I was available at that point and I was like, yeah, let's, let's try to do it together. Let's see how it goes. And I think both of us envisioned that as a one-time collaboration, but we had so much fun working on that film together because our backgrounds are so different and so diverse that we found out that we're not competing with each other, but instead we're complementing each other very well in our musical styles. And the final result is just so much better and so much more creative, I guess, because we come from such different backgrounds. So like when we're composing, I would come up with an idea and then Jonah would take it and start developing it in a completely different direction and vice versa. So from there on, we just started exploring it together. Yeah, because we found out that it was really good and it was a lot of fun working together. Well, so. plus, think about that, you know, when you're a film composer, the deadlines are always so tight, you end up spending 24-7 in a dark studio. So I think when you're doing it on your own, it's probably a little lonely as a process. So doing it together, it's much more fun. Plus, we have so many instruments here in the studio. It's a great thing that it's two of us, because in this case, we can split who actually learns which instruments and who performs which instrument. <laughs> that sounds like a very fruitful uh, collaboration. Yeah, I heard that, uh, Sonia, you uh, were learning the hurdy-gurdy specifically for the score. How long did it take you to master it? Well, actually, you know, surprisingly not very long. So let me rewind a little bit back. So for the Witcher score, we had a lot of recordings. We worked with a lot of soloists. We worked with a lot of ensembles. But just between John and I, we personally performed and recorded over 60 instruments on the Witcher soundtrack. And the reason for that is that the Witcher continent is just so vast and so diverse, and it's full of so many different creatures like humans, witchers, elves, dwarves, monsters, any kind of monsters, from dragon to striga, brooks, or whatever you can think of. So that diversity was just asking uh, it really required, I think, to be properly represented in the music, hence why we decided to go with this many instruments. We had a lot of different instruments handcrafted specifically for the Witcher score, and they came to us from all over the world. Some came from Russia, Armenia, China, Malaysia, Hungary, Portugal, United States. So now finally back to hurdy-gurdy. Yes. One of these was the hurdy-gurdy. One, <laughs> one of these instruments was the hurdy-gurdy and I had to learn it. Uh, and yeah, it didn't take very long because if you think it, about it... It took longer to receive... To receive the hurdy girl. Because the, you know, there are not that many <laughs> there are not that many makers in the world and especially in the United States who craft this beautiful instrument. And therefore we didn't know, but the line, you know, the wait line, the wait list to receive one was like nine months. Was nine months. So we were Whoa. we were extremely lucky that we were placed in front of the wait list. Sorry everybody. But yeah, but it still, it took a while to receive the instrument, but it was such a gorgeous instrument. But hurdy-gurdy is actually not dramatically different from piano because it still mm -hmm. has keys. The only difference is really that these keys are reversed. So if you're looking at a piano, you're seeing white keys and black keys. If you're holding a hurdy-gurdy, the keys are reversed. You're first going to be pressing on the black keys and then on the white keys. So that took a second to adjust, figure out how to do it. Also with a hurdy-gurdy, you only play with the left hand because your right hand is rotating the wheel. So it's a similar idea to the piano, just a slightly different 
like exploitation of that idea. So it didn't to take that long. I think first couple of cues, it obviously took a second for me to learn, but then the more I started recording hurdy-gurdy, the easier it was. such a big part of the score too that that must have been really really challenging and uh, Giona how was the process of recording so many separate instruments and then bringing them together for the final sound well first of all it was a lot of fun because you know we do this <laughs> because you know the other option is just staring at computer and writing you know with the computer and that's boring and playing around with all these instruments it's a lot of fun it's like brings back like playing bands and so It was sometimes challenging because you receive an instrument and you're like, hmm, now how do you play this? <laughs> well, but also speaking in terms of recording all together versus recording separately, like we did have a lot of traditional instruments, like yes. ensembles that were all recorded together. However, speaking of all these historical instruments and unique instruments like hurdy-gurdies, harmoniums, psaltery, I mean, there were so many of them. Hoon. Hoon, all the different all the different ethnic percussions and woodwinds. These are not really the instruments that are ensemble type of instruments. But also there is, mm -hmm. I think, the advantage of recording them separately, like, you know, if you're producing a record, is that then you have this great freedom on modifying the sound, how how much you want because you know we're still scoring to pictures so we need to be flexible with the sounds to modify them to for the emotion that the scenes require so you know we did like with the hoon which is a chinese ocarina has a beautiful lonely sound and it became the theme the instrument for siri we had some scenes where it had to be a bit more aggressive so by recording separately we were able to you know dial in a bit of like distortion and making it more distorted and becoming this like distorted woodwind instruments. And so we had so a lot of fun. Basically, that. bottom line is when you're recording this type of instruments and doing it separately, you have much more flexibility and control on the sound, which is exactly what we were looking for for this type of project. Oh yeah, sure. Were you familiar with the Witcher character in the previous adaptations of the books before you got hired for the show? 
No, because uh, <laughs> our, at least for me, my very first exposure to The Witcher was the script because we had all eight episodes available to us right away. And as soon as we read them, we were like, wow, we really want to be involved in this project and we really want to be a part of, you know, this creative team to create that world. Uh, and that was really my very first exposure. Same for me. I mean, yeah. I like if the video game would have come out earlier, you know, <laughs> I would have <laughs> in the early 2000, then I would have played them. But when they came out, I wasn't I didn't really have time anymore to play video games. So I knew there were video games, but I never had the chance to play them. I never had the chance to explore them. Same thing with the books. I never ex I never read them, unfortunately. But so my first exposure was with the scripts. Well, same for me, speaking of the video games, because, you know, I was born in Russia and I grew up in Russia. So growing up in Russia, you don't play video games, you play piano. So <laughs> hence why I never played them. I see, because uh, this was a question uh, both a friend of mine, Niels, and my little brother, Kalle, uh, asked. Uh, the style and instrumentation you used is not unlike the previous approaches of other composers who did music for Witcher Media, the games specifically. basically wanted to to ask was that like intentional or was the choice just a logical step considering the source material because you you didn't know the game so i guess you didn't hear any of the previous music before correct so there are two parts to this answer uh the first part is that uh we were very conscious actually not to listen to the music for video games because the show wanted to be its own identity and the whole creative team on the series wanted to make sure that we're sustaining that identity of the series, which is why we consciously didn't want to listen to the music to the video games. But in terms of speaking of the similarities, and I've heard that before, and that's very logical because both video games and the series, I mean, we're still telling the same story. So I think it's only natural that some of the tools in telling that story are similar which is why probably there might be some similarities, again, because we are telling the same story. And also we use similar, because, you know, it's still the same time period. Uh, I mean, it's the same story. Is there a time period? <laughs> is there some, a time so, period? Some, somewhat. <laughs> so, no, but I mean, it's, you know, the instruments are still the same or similar, you know, hurdy-gurdy, dulcimer, sultry, recorders, lutes. So that similarity in sonority is gonna, you know, people have to say, oh, you know, they're similar because the sonority is similar. Because the instrumentation is yeah. somewhat similar because, again, we are telling the same story and are probably very possibly using similar tools in telling that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought because that just makes logical sense because of the origin of the book. It's, it's a Polish uh, fantasy book series and uh, making it sound like Slavic, Eastern European folk music kind of being like inspired by that that yeah that's actually pretty logical and it's not not unlikely that uh, somebody would be inspired in that same way that probably the game composers were mm -hmm. absolutely 
<laughs> so that's great because that's that was exactly what I thought. But yeah, my uh, my friend and my brother they were they were interested in that. Your score doesn't sound like the orchestral epic type of music we are much more familiar with in the fantasy genre. It's a totally different, much rougher and even experimental approach at times. And do you think that this could open the door for more scores like this in mainstream media? Would hope so. <laughs> we'll definitely, look, it it was a conscious decision because one of the earliest conversation was like we don't want it to sound like the traditional epic adventure scores that you know we are usually exposed to. We want to bring in something new, something different that people haven't really heard before in the epic epic fantasy genre. So that was a conscious uh, decision, and we're very, you know, we're very glad that people like the sound and they found it very interesting. Furthermore, uh, we were brought on board from very early on because normally, as composers, you would get involved around the post-production period, which is, you know, when you already have a cut to work with. In our case, because we had to write and produce songs that were needed for the <laughs> shoot, and we had to also write dances that had to be first choreographed for the shoot. So we got on board even before they started shooting, and that was, I think, October 2018. So getting on board this early on was actually a great luxury for us because we were able to really experiment with the sound and find that right sound balance and also pre present all the producers with different options, ranging from something very kind of medieval to something super contemporary. And the reason for that was to find that right sound balance. Yeah, and I, it's a sound that I personally really like because I think it's something that you know, has a, as you as you said, it has it's not really common in uh, fantasy adventure, and I think it's something cool that uh, would be cool to explore further. <laughs> <laughs> you just answered the um, next question I was gonna ask. That, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was curious about how early you were involved because of all the songs and also the the fact that it's pretty rare for the score composers to actually compose every single piece of even source music in a movie or series. Your music is featured diegetically and non-diegetically, which isn't quite the norm. So this is actually really cool. Yes, it was, it, you know, it was all stemmed out from the fact that we were brought on so early, you know, before they started shooting. So we had this opportunity to craft this musical world for this for the continent very, uh, very meticulously. Yeah, so the whole score included score, background score, songs, folk tunes and dances. And you're completely right. That's very rare that a composer, and especially in the TV world, would be able to do all of that, right? Um, and... I yeah, I mean, I find it very cool because in this way you can craft a, a sonority that is very, uh, it's very unified. unifying. Yeah, it's very unified. Because mm -hmm. what we did basically, um, because there's so much music in this series. Think about that. We have eight <coughs> episodes. One, every episode is one hour in length and every episode has one hour of music. It's a lot of material and it's very easy to get lost for this material just because there's so much of it. So it was very important for us to make sure that it's logically structured, that it's thematically all connected. And one of the ways uh, we approached that uh, it was very important for us that the songs and the score are all kind of inspired by each other. So just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, for example, episode two, it's also going to a witcher, right? It happens at the very, very end of the episode. However, the actual music theme of the song 
appears pretty much as soon as we meet Jaskier. So basically in the scene when Jaskier and Geralt are walking up the hill and they're about to start their adventure together, that is the very first time we hear the theme of Tosa Coin to your Witcher. However, it happens as part of the score. Need a hand? I've got two. One for each of the uh, devil's horns. Go away. I won't be but silent backup. Look, I heard your note, and yes, you're right. Maybe real adventures would make better stories. And you, sir, smell chock full of them, amongst other things. I mean, what is that? Is that onion? It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you smell of death and destiny, heroics and heartbreak. It's onion. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, I could be your barker, spreading the tales of Geralt of Rivia, the, the butcher of Blaviken. Come here. Yeah. Come on, Roach. And then it kind of develops throughout the episode, and most notably it comes in again uh, in the scene where Geralt and Jaskier are in the caves with Philavandrel. Um, and here we don't know what's going to happen to our characters. They might die, something might happen. And so the theme of Tosa Coin to your Witcher comes in, but it sounds completely different. It's so much darker, it's more evil, it's more menacing because our characters might die. But however, it's still the same exact theme of Tosa Coin. And then it finally comes in as the song at the very, very end of the episode. So in this case, the song doesn't serve as a standalone material and it's still completely new and fresh when it comes in at the very end of the episode. But we've been preparing the audience all along throughout the whole episode for the song that happens at the end. They came after me with masterful deceit Broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth While the devil's horns minced our tender meat And so cried the witcher he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty Oh valley of plenty Oh Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty Not only that, but also coming on board you know, this early on also provided us with the opportunity of creating a differentiation between the different uh, sonorities of the of the music for the show. For example, you know, the music for Geralt or the songs are quite contemporary in style and sounds. However, if you look, for example, the dances, like the dance that there is in the first episode, uh, the Sintra Ball, that's very medieval traditional music yes it's medieval and traditional but it's still by the way based on Geralt's theme yes it's still based on Geralt's theme so, so that's another example of kind of like uniting the thematic material yes
And and for example, then this ball this ball music comes back later on when Siri at the pup and the puppet shows uh, in which, episode seven. In episode seven, when Siri is walking through the village and there is a puppet show, the music accompanying the okay. puppet show is the same Sintra, the same ball music that was in episode one during the ball. So, <laughs> so there are a lot of things like that yeah. that, like you as an audience, you probably don't realize that. Uh, but that helps to kind of organizing and unifying the whole music material in the context of the whole show. Not only that, also for example, cover music. Okay, <laughs> there is a lot. We went, we went even a level, a level deeper than that. So, let me explain <laughs> you about. I already know what Jonah wants to talk about here. So. Right now, with the success of Tosa Coin to Your Witcher, so many fans have been creating their covers of Tosa Coin, which is awesome. But what not everyone knows is that we actually, ourselves, also created covers of different jazz care songs within the context of the show. And the way we did that, and that also served the same purpose of uniting the whole music material. So basically, bottom line is, when Jaskier sings Tosa Coin, he becomes this type of rock star of the continent. We even call him the Freddie Mercury of the continent, right? So now yeah. that he's such a big and famous bard, we thought that it would be absolutely natural if other musicians and other bard in the continent would, you know, do their own covers of his songs. So basically, whenever our characters are traveling and they go, they go to any new tavern and any new place, uh, the tavern music that you hear is actually a cover of different jazz care songs. So we have a cover of Tosa Coin, we have another cover of You Think You're Safe. Most of the time you hear it with a solo fiddle, but it is in fact covers of different jazz care songs. And the reason why it was done was again, to unite the whole music material within the arc of the show. And have fun. And have fun, yes. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so incredibly, like you said, unifying, it's organic, it's like, even the score is coming out of the world of The Witcher itself. <laughs> what did like a typical day of work look like for you and how many days in total did you spend on the witcher score Oof. so the day of work probably looks like madness yeah <laughs> so, i mean just think about this we started in october 2018 and we finished in november 2019 and that was <sighs> pretty much full-time almost seven days to set on yeah seven... there were some breaks in the beginning yeah yeah, Between was... January and February, there were a little bit of breaks. But... Yeah, but like from March, April, as soon as we started getting the early cuts, yeah. it was non-stop. And here the work was structured like that. So we were here in Los Angeles in our studio. All the post-production offices were in London. So we would come into the studio, like, let's say, I think 9 a.m. You would come in, right? Yeah, I would um, come in earlier. I yeah. would come in later. Uh, we would start working, uh, you know, during the day we all answer all the emails, everything work-related here in Well, write music as well. Well, write music, <laughs> obviously, right? So then we keep working until, like, midnight. Then midnight here in Los Angeles, 8 a.m. in London. London wakes up. And then our day keeps going, and, you know, we communicate already with London. There are all the London emails, and then, like, that until around maybe, like, 5 a.m. here in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, and then I'm addressing, you know, any, like, early 
you know, thoughts or changes that we could address in the, you know, between midnight to like 3 a.m. in the morning, something like this. And, and then, then we would, would leave, I think, around 3 and yeah. I would leave around 5. And then we're starting again at 9. Yeah, and it was like that basically from April until November. Uh, and for the <laughs> early episodes, it was a little less crazy because for early episodes, we had, I think, around three weeks for an episode. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think three weeks is quite a lot, but it's actually not a lot at all because we had to deliver, we had to write one hour of music, right? Go through all the process of changes that were required either from the producers or the studio or changes related to the changes within the cut, right? Then have the music approved, have it all orchestrated, have it all recorded, have it all mixed, and then deliver it on the stage. So three weeks is really not a lot for something like that. And then that. also because, you know, we also have a lot of, you know, source music, the songs, this, you know, you record the songs as demos first, but then, you know, you shoot them, but then because of the cut, you know, you it, have to change them. And, you, ha you know, sometimes uh, the cuts in the picture are not, necessarily they don't necessarily help the mu you know to keep the music uh, musical so you have to come up with ideas on how keep, to keep the song musical but you know adjusting it to the cast so you know so for early, interesting puzzles yeah for early episodes we had about three weeks to solve all these puzzles uh, however for later episodes, I think towards the end, we had one week per episode, which was a little crazy. Yeah, it was it was very intense. And... Yeah, and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, but that sounds challenging and crazy, but the, the, the payoff was was all worth it. I, I gotta say that. I would probably rephrase <laughs> it and probably say more like crazy and challenging. <laughs> No, but it was wonderful because, you know, it was so, as you said, the, it was so wonderful because then, you know, we had Toss a Coin to You, which are stuck in our head since October. So when people finally had the opportunity to start hearing this, the songs and had it stuck in their heads as well, we're like, we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. <laughs> we're not crazy. <laughs> well, uh, you created a true banger with that song. <laughs> uh, it has a, a deserved uh, status as... You know, a song that just doesn't go out of your head and is uh, awesome all the way through. Well, speaking of Tosek Oin, so we wrote the song, I think it was one of the very first thing, actually, that we wrote. I think yeah. it was October and November 2018. Uh, and because it, we were still at the very early stages, for every song, we wrote between five to seven versions to explore different styles and find the right style and the right vibe for the series. Uh, yeah, and that was quite a process. So first the song was written, then we found the right version. I sang on all the demos at the demo stage. Then when the song was approved, then we started working very closely with Joey to kind of, you know, coach him musically and prepare him musically for the shoot. So throughout this whole time, we were basically with the song, working on it, refining it. And then when we started receiving the cuts, I think it was around April, we started refining it even further now that we were able to see how it actually works within the cut itself. And then we recorded the song. Um, wasn't it July 4th? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was right on July 4th. We were in <laughs> London. Uh, we, were, we had a lot of different recording sessions. We were there to we, because we were doing the dub mixes for other episodes, and we had some recording sessions scheduled. Uh, and we were supposed to record all the songs with Joey. And poor Joey, right on the day of our recording session, he calls us and tells us that he got sick. 
So <laughs> he, he, he came to the session and he was such a super trooper. He had to drink a lot of tea, a lot of honey, a lot of lemon to kind of keep warming up the vocal cords. And he just did the whole recording session with flying colors. He gave us so much material. All that material was absolutely brilliant. Uh, so much variety and yeah, I think it was at that session when we were all looking at each other and being like, wow, yeah, we have a hit here. <laughs> hear it at all his voice sounds great and uh, all of the songs uh, are really really great Sonia I I heard or I rather I read in the booklet of a CD you did uh, the female vocals did you all of the female vocals or just some of them no all of them <laughs> <laughs> so you even did that really really creepy uh, voice you can hear in the Striga uh, track where it's like because that was uh, a part in the music I always loved and always gave me the shivers when that singing voice comes in and that oh, yeah. with that w weird effect and it's it sounds so so creepy and unsettling and I love it so much so that was really you that was me <laughs> yeah you know when when we were recording that we were here in the studios and you know, Sonia was there at the mic and, you know, it was so creepy. I had to turn to make sure I didn't have a striga behind me, but, you know, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Thank you, Jonah. <laughs> I just had to make sure that Sonia didn't transform, you know, just make sure, making sure. Great. Sometimes there are actually words being sung. You can clearly make out words. And pardon me for sounding like an uh, ignorant guy because the only uh, other language I know other than German is English. Is that a real language or a fictitious one? So um, what we did, uh, there is actually a scene in episode four. Um, it's that scene with the whole like hurricane uh, with Pavetta and Duny. Um, and what we're doing in that particular scene, and which is why it's interesting, we actually created a constructed language for that scene. And let me tell you why we did it. Um, so there is that very big and epic scene, and it was just asking for a choir. And we tried just the choir first without lyrics, but it just wouldn't, like, it didn't really work that well. So it was asking for lyrics, but we couldn't really use an, any actual lyrics because there is still dialogue going on there. Pavete is speaking in the elder language. So we wanted to make sure that we're very cautious of not conflicting with the dialogue. And so I don't even remember how, but the idea of doing a constructed language just came up and we were like, yeah, let's try it. So I wrote 
some lyrics that were indeed a constructed language and it was just a combination of a Slavic group of languages like Polish, Russian, Czech, Romanian, Ukrainian, all of those. So what you hear over there is lyrics and they sound like words, but it is in fact a constructed language and we use that quite a lot throughout the whole episode 4. Yeah. So that's also, is that the same type of language that like uh, Declan Debarra sings in some of the um, tracks, like the, the end's beginning, because that's also one of my favorite titles. That's Declan type of constructed language. Okay, regarding the end's <laughs> beginning, Declan, you know, Declan is awesome. We, uh, he's so, it's so amazing to collaborate with him on song. He's just, he's just a master at that. He comes up with lyrics in, in a heartbeat and always, they always leave you speechless. So speaking specifically of that song, that was actually, so that was done when he was here in the studio. It was the very first time he came to our studio. He was very shy about it because he didn't sing for quite a while and he didn't even want to tell us that he was a singer initially. We had to find out on our own. And as soon as we heard him singing, we were like, wow, we, we need to record Declan on this soundtrack. He just has the perfect voice for this. So finally, we were able to, you know, to make him come to our studio. He came here and the initial idea was to record different like sound effects, different vocal effects for different scenes. And then we just started improvising and we just recorded some things, just literally improvising. So that song, The End's Beginning, was part of his improvisation. He just went in front of the mic and he sang a melody with lyrics. And that he made up on the spot. <laughs> he made up on the spot, just like that. And that was literally The End's Beginning. Yeah. And then we did an arrangement around what he sang. Wow. And then you came in and also uh, did some of the singing there. That's that's absolutely amazing. Then I doubled what he was singing afterwards. I, I had to actually transcribe what he was singing. <laughs>
great. That's such a great track. Another uh, one which is female based, I I remember is the, and it's it's a theme for a character that's only around for one episode, and that's the uh, Renfrey theme, which starts as this very very uh, beautiful like like lament basically. It it's, it just sounds so gorgeous, and it's it's you singing again, so that's just great. And then later it develops actually in an action theme that, where the singing is much more aggressive, and I just love that development. I love that change so much. <laughs> Well, first of all, one little trivia trivia about Renfrew's theme is it derives from the uh, song of the White Wolf. Yes, it derives from the song of the White Wolf because Renfrey is oh, yeah. because Renfrey is part of Geralt. So it made just sense to have, you know, Renfrey's theme be part being a component of the song of the White Wolf. Well, because Renfrey, like throughout, yes, she's only in the show for the very first episode, and then she never really comes back. But just we all know her importance. Seven. But she is very important as a character and she serves basically as a moral, some sort of moral compass, I guess, for Geralt because she like, she kind of comes back in those moments when Geralt is contemplating his morality. So yeah, it kind of made sense for us to have her theme partially based on Geralt's material. Right. And uh, this is why it's based on the Song of the White Wolf. And for example, it comes back in episode three when Geralt gives the brooch on the bridge. To, to full test. To full test. Uh, the music there is still Renfrey's theme because that was Renfrey's brooch. So, yes. But already more in the Song of the White Wolf arrangement. Right. But yeah, that, that those vocals, the... Then when they're fighting, it comes back as and so on. Yeah, that was all me. Yeah, that was all Sonia. Going from very gentle <gasps> to very aggressive. Kind of rough, yeah. yeah, rough. That's genius. I like I said, I love that part so so much. And also, yeah, speaking of Song of the White Wolf, which is a perfect ending song for the first season, and also just a perfect song in and of itself. I actually played it to my father and he listened to it and he was like, This is this is really, really good. I like this a lot.
like the um, like the combination of your voice and uh, Declan's voice, and then when the instrumental part uh, comes in, such a great combination, and the the melody I think captures a lot of the spirit of the series and and of the characters. Like how how long did it take you to to figure out like this is this is the perfect thing for uh, for this song and and how did it get finished and you were like yeah this is it so the funny thing about the song of the white wolf that also happened during our very very first recording session with Declan uh, so we were done recording all the vocal effects and that happened in March 2019 yeah it was like around March <laughs> yes. yeah we were done recording all the vocal effects uh, everything was done so we were just there improvising um, I started playing a melody on a harmonium and then I see Declan taking out his little, little notepad. It's like super, super little. Uh, and then he just starts like scrambling something and writing something down. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, keep playing, keep playing. So I'm there playing a melody. He keeps writing. Uh, and then I was finished and then he finished writing and he's like, yeah, let me try something. So he gets up to the mic and then he sings the song of the white wolf. Yeah, it was like two takes. We and that was it. <laughs> it came out great. <laughs> so I'm not even kidding you. That that was it. Yeah. And we never even attempted to re-record his vocals after that because they were so perfect. They were so raw and so sincere and so rough that yeah, that's how it was born. Yeah, he and, he recorded the vocals then he left the studio and then in one hour, like in 30 minutes, one hour, we put together, you know, the like a rough, rough arrangement. Yeah, a very rough arrangement of how the song would be. And, you know, when we had, when we finished it, by the end of the day, we were like, this is a perfect song for the show. And we we're like, this has to end the show. It, yeah. And it was really <laughs> funny because it was basically one of the very first things that we wrote for the show. But since the very beginning, we knew that we were going to save it until the end of the series, which was perfect because when we saw the cut of episode eight and saw that scene, we were like, yeah, it's going to work great. And then we needed to extend it a little bit further, which is how that instrumental part was born. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you know, we had the song and we we're like, well, we cannot just introduce it in episode eight because people are going to be like, great, but what's the point? So we're like, we need to, you know, start introducing it from the very beginning. So that's, you know, it's the great thing about working in advance because then you have the themes, you have the melodies, and then you can figure out how to plant them strategically throughout the season. So that, you know, from episode one, we start introducing... Which is how Renfrey's theme was born right. out of the Song of the White Wolf because by that point, we already had the Song of the White Wolf and we started planting seeds of the Song of the White Wolf right away from episode one. Yeah, because with Renfrey, we're like, well, would it make sense if we, you know, her themes gets inspired from the song of the white wolf and so from there we we took it planting out. those seeds in episode one then kind of developing more in episode three especially in that scene with Geralt and Foltest on the bridge then it comes back again in episode four when Geralt is talking to Mausak at the end of the episode before we cut um, into Nilfgaard so it develops through episode four and it kind of like slowly develops pretty much in every episode and then happens in its full forum at the end of the season as the song <laughs> wow what what are like the tracks or ideas in the score you are most proud of or were the most fun or challenging to do Whew, that's a hard one uh well <laughs> the striga itself was the whole sequence of the striga was i think that was quite a challenge because it's a very long sequence and you know the the episode cuts between Yennefer's transformation and Geralt 
battling the Striga and the Striga transformation back to the princess. So that was a, a quite challenging uh, sequence because a is well, because A, I think it's it's a very long sequence. It's yeah. a long action sequence, so we needed to make sure that we're keeping the audience on their toes throughout the whole sequence. Mm -hmm. And I think, what is it, like 15 minutes? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, think about that, it's a quarter of an episode, right? So we needed to make sure that the audience is engaged throughout the whole sequence. A, right? And B, because we have Geralt and Striga, but then we have Yennefer and her transformation. So it was also very important for us that thematically we are creating a differentiation between their themes and their music worlds, but at the same time, by uniting all of that within one cube. So I think that was quite a challenge. Yeah. Another scene, not necessarily a challenge, but I just like the idea behind it. So episode five, bathtub sequence. Um, so Geralt and Yennefer, they have just met for the very, very first time. And then they're in the bathtub. Um, and it's a very interesting scene because what we're doing in that scene, um, the music that plays there performs Geralt's theme. However, mm -hmm. it's performed by an oboe, which has been Yennefer's instrument throughout the whole series. So it's very interesting because our characters have just met. They don't know each other yet. And their dialect is very tongue-in-cheek. So there is no relationship between them yet at all. However, musically, we are already starting that relationship by, you know, having Geralt's theme performed by Yennefer instrument and therefore uniting their thematic material and starting that relationship musically.
yeah, yeah that, that was an interesting idea that we came up with and i'm proud of that <laughs> and, and another one that it was it was an interesting puzzle but we're so proud of how it came out is the basically it's the same sequence that happens twice is the scene in episode one when Siri is escaping the castle with Mausak and then he repeats in episode seven and the music is yes. this, yeah. is the same uh yeah, and you know, what, slightly different though. <laughs> what was interesting about that is that because the way we had to score the episodes was not chronologically, and actually, episode one, even though it's the first episode that we see, it was actually one of the last episodes that we worked on. Um, and so that sequence, so the track on the soundtrack is called "The Time of Excellence or It Is Now." Uh, we first wrote it in the context of episode seven. So, which was very interesting because after episode seven, we had to work on episode one and figure out ways to use basically the same material because it's the same exact scene. However, in episode seven, but we from see a it with perspective. yeah, exactly. In episode seven, we mm -hmm. see it from Geralt's perspective, but in episode one, we see it from Ciri's perspective. So, it was an interesting challenge on how to you know, use the same thematic material but rearrange it in a way that we are, you know, accounting for those different perspectives but still using the same material. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun challenge to solve. Clever interlinked with each other musically. I, I know I noticed a couple of those details too, but not all of them. So I'm glad to have you here to actually uh, clear some of this up. <laughs> um, here's a question by by a friend, Kevin Knorr. He is um, like the host of a uh, soon-to-be uh, online uh, website where I am going to introduce my new podcast, which is basically like podcast reviews of soundtracks. The pilot episode is actually for The Witcher. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he said uh, he's, he's part of a virtual orchestra which runs over the internet communicating via Facebook and Skype and it aims to offer young composers the chance to have their great music performed by a real orchestra and uh, the motto is musicians connect musicians and the goal is not to only bring musicians together and give composers a chance to hear their music from a real orchestra but also the community aspect and it has currently almost 1.k musicians professional sound designers mixers conductors professional orchestrators uh, everything a classical orchestra has in terms of personal or technique and it gets all on the way by teamwork and what he wanted to ask is from your perspective how would you describe the situation of young composers in your branch it's certainly difficult to remain musically true to yourself and still be successful in order to actually see your music on the screen, like at the beginning of your career, would you have found an orchestra like the virtual orchestra useful? Um, that's an interesting question. Look, of course, absolutely. Working with real musicians versus working with computers. I mean, there, there is absolutely, I mean, 
that's no comparison. No, I mean, no comparison. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, computers is just a tool that should help you, and you have to be in control of the computers. It cannot be the unless other... we're talking about like an electronic consent score. That's a right. different conversation. Right. <laughs> but if we're talking yeah. about you know orchestral score, uh, computer is a wonderful tool to create the mockups, right? And it's a wonderful tool that helps you tremendously in your work process. But of course, absolutely nothing can substitute real musicians. So there is no doubt about that. So of course, for any composer having your music performed with real musicians and live instruments, that's a tremendous joy because musicians are the ones who can bring life into your music so i don't think it matters at which stage you are yeah it's, it's you know the test just have like a very simple melody played on a computer you know on sample string then it sounds like eh. but then you have you know 10 different violinists play play it and you're gonna get 10 different versions 10 different variations and 10 emotions. different emotions right. and suddenly you have music so you know it's it in my opinion it's a one it's a fantastic idea because it's like it's a really wonderful initiative yeah because look music <laughs> you know music it's like uh, for a film or video game or TV show it's like an actor it's 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 an element that brings it's, an own, it's, its own character yeah it's an own character that brings emotion to the audience and and you know with instrument it has to be performed by live I mean that by musicians. <laughs> well, yeah, especially I think for younger composers because it's very hard to, you know, actually be able to record musicians and yeah. be able to get a budget to do so because most of the time, you know, younger aspiring composers are stuck with no budget, therefore, you know, no live recording. So to be able to do that, especially at the early stages of your career, it's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, it's a fa it's a <laughs> it's a wonderful initiative. That's great and if you uh, gave uh, musicians and composers and everyone involved in the virtual orchestra some advice, what would that be? Well, for musicians, obviously, is to become comfortable with technology because I think musicians are used to, you know, be really good with the instrument and uh, forgetting that there is also, I mean, not, not forgetting, but, you know, go to the recording studio, everything is set up and you record. But I think it's there are situations where you know musician needs to be able to record in in their own studios, so they need to become comfortable with like situation like right now, for example, <coughs> when we cannot record, or right. just simple situations of we need to record something, but we don't have actually time to book a studio to have you know to go to the studio to have the musicians going to the studio. So sometimes for because the deadlines are so crazy in this industry, so sometimes it's very it's very important for musicians to know how to record to be able to record and to have their recording gear so then when the situation arises they're able to do that so that that i think is for musicians for composers uh for composers to hmm, let me think i think for composers what's important especially if we're talking specifically about film music it's important to be diverse because you never know you know what kind of opportunity you might get and what kind of genre of a, or style of a film you might score, right? Whether it's something, you know, as epic and massive and expansive as The Witcher, or for example, Romanov's, uh, the other TV series that we did last year, which required a very sophisticated orchestral palette with, with a lot of different soloists. We even wrote a piano concerto for those series or a domra concerto. 
Uh, so you never really know what opportunity you're going to get and therefore being diverse and proficient in as many styles and genres as you possibly can, I think it's a great skill set and I think all aspiring composers should definitely master that. And therefore, you know, I think composer, you can uh, kind of, you know, you have those that are very comfortable with classical and orchestra and I think for them it's quite important to become a little bit comfortable with technology and that aspect and vice versa, composers who are very comfortable with technology and synthesizers to become a bit more versatile more... in orchestral music, right. classical music. Yes. So yeah, diversity and versatility, I think that's a very important thing. Very true. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, we are almost at the end here, What? but I uh, wanted to know a couple more things. Like whenever you put a new score out and it gets released, Do you read reviews? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. When you say reviews, you're talking about um, uh, music critics like magazines, or are you talking reviews from fans? Uh, both. Ah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I yeah. think. I think. Look, we read both the good ones, the bad ones. We have, you know, uh, a lot of our comments, and we're like, cool. Well, also, I mean, no, I, we we definitely read reviews. Also, speaking of the speaking of fans, because uh, we have quite a bit of following on social media, and we try to connect with our fans as much as we can. So, yeah, a lot of fans write their comments, write their thoughts on social media, and yeah, we obviously read that. So, yeah, well, especially because look, I mean, we're doing music for, uh, you know, for films, uh, TV, video games that you know, for people to enjoy, listen to, and for them. So we're very interested in knowing what people like about that, what they didn't like, and all these things. And maybe, you know, sometimes some people have some ideas, and you're like, well, why not? Um, so I think it's very interesting. I think it's a very, uh, I, I, we find it interesting to read what other people think of the music that we wrote. <laughs> and, I, and I think uh, when there are so many uh, cover versions of uh, certain tracks or musical pieces you did, I think that's an encouragement that you did something right. <laughs> well, but also when we wrote, speaking of back Toss a Coin, everything leads to Toss a Coin. When we wrote Toss a Coin, when we wrote that specific version, I remember for us, you know, it was stuck in our head for, for quite a while. For a long time, still. For, yeah, still. So usually, you know, when something like that happens, that means that the material that you wrote is catchy and it's worth exploring and developing further, which is exactly what happened with Tosa Coin. So I'm just really glad that, you know, our kind of feeling towards that song, it translated and now fans are having so much fun with the song and creating all these amazing covers. And we're just every day amazed by the diversity of all these covers and, you know, all the different genres. I mean, think about that. We have everything from like rock and metal to folk choir and something classical. It's it's absolutely incredible. And we're just so grateful for all this love and appreciation. Yeah, look, it's just, it's so, it's It's such an honor to see that we were able to inspire so many people so many people with a song that we were inspired by the script so i think it's it's just fantastical it's so yeah it's it, and then when this song came out and then you know it topped all the charts we were number one on billboard number one on itunes when we saw that we were number one on billboard in the rock sales category <laughs> I mean, I remember I had to refresh the page. I was like, what are we talking about? Are we talking, are we really talking about rock sales? But yeah, apparently we were. So it was just crazy and it's just so... It's so hard to describe because it's something that you, 
always thrive for, I'm sure. Yeah, but you know, it's like. But not... then when it happens, you're like, what? Yeah, you cannot believe it. So it's uh, it's such an honor, and uh, yeah, it's it's very hard to find the right words to describe it. But it's amazing. During the last like maybe two decades or something, uh, film and TV music has become much more popular than it used to be in, in terms of like how it is available to people, how people recognize uh, the music and admire it and say so many things about it, write a lot about it. And um, from that, a lot of people actually spawned, like uh, actually creating reviews and uh, other creative things discussing the soundtracks do you listen to soundtrack podcasts in general and if so do you have like a favorite or isn't isn't that really something that's on your radar i personally do sometimes it's more like what shows up uh, on the internet i'm like ah this sounds interesting and i check it out it's hard sometimes when you're on hard deadline and you have to work long hours uh you don't really have maybe you know we don't really have the time to truly listen to it and search them but I do some, yeah, I do, honestly. Uh, I don't really, but I do listen to a lot of soundtracks, obviously, because we have a huge library <laughs> of so many soundtracks, everything and anything. So, yes. All well, I mean, honestly, she might not really listen to podcasts, but then she listened to me, you know, giving a summary of what the podcast was about when he talked. So, yeah, that, that's true. That's, <laughs> that's true also. So, <laughs> so absolutely. I see because I have I have many friends who uh, have like soundtrack podcasts or write a lot about film music. I'm a regular guest on um, Citro Sound Theater. They are amazing people. They do like whole album reviews of certain soundtracks and with like uh, theme episodes and and all of that stuff. They they did every single pirate score, for example, in like uh, our uh, hours of length uh, episodes, and I'm featured on like four of them so that that's actually a really really fun thing to do because in my in my near environment there aren't many people who are really soundtrack fans they're like familiar with a couple of themes but it, it's not really their thing so it's great having the internet to reach out to people who think the same thing about uh, film music and so i connected with a few people who were also fans of the witcher score of course and uh, my My final official question, and that's something I always ask the composers who are a guest on here, uh, what would be like an absolute dream project for you to do, like genre or even specifically franchise-wise? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. It's... Go for it if you want first. No, you go first. I think it's a tricky question because I think my personal belief is like it's it's better not to have like a favorite, like, oh, I really want to do this or I want to do this. It's more about, you know, the opportunity that you receive and create the best that you can. Like, I would never in a million years thought, you know, we would get, like, when we did the Romanovs, like, you know, super classical, and it was fantastic what came up. So it's... And you would not never in a million years would. I don't know where I was going with that. I'm not sure where you were going no, with that. I, no, I think the answer to this question, here's my take on this. Johnny, you had your opportunity. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> you failed miserably. So here's my take on this. Um, I don't. I agree with the fact that for me also, I don't think there is a specific genre. I personally enjoy, you know, submerging myself into different genres, different types of projects. Like 
Let's take The Witcher. This is a massive, epic fantasy world that required such a massive score. And we were able to write both scores, songs, folk tunes, and dances. I mean, you never get an opportunity like, like this, especially in television, but also in films. So that was a wonderful opportunity. Now, rewinding back, the Romanovs, that was a very sophisticated, very classical orchestral palette. Furthermore, working together with Matthew Weiner uh, was just, that, that was such a highlight light of our career and we were really looking forward to that collaboration and it ended up being such a fruitful and productive collaboration so that was wonderful or rewinding backwards sacred lies um for which uh we wrote the music for season one and season two which also came out last year uh no was this it this year? year this year never mind <laughs> this year it came out uh for sacred lies we wrote both score and we also wrote and produced songs and i sang all these songs and here the style was so different because the genre of the series is drama but then the music the songs were like very kind of pop more mainstream there were a lot of grooves and cool synths and other cool elements or the film that we did several years ago emma Faye, starring francesca eastwood the score was so different we also had to play around a lot with electronics and come up with cool sonorities and cool sounds so for me what i really enjoy is i want every project to be really different and yeah something unique so that um like i'm really looking for my every score to be you know to have its own identity i think it would be boring for me to just you repeat know, yourself continue repeating myself and kind of just developing on the same subject over and over again so i'm really looking for that versatility and diversity furthermore i think for every project that's always very important for us the creative team behind the project the people who we work with because it's the best thing in the world when you know there are all these great minds and which are aligned and then you can come up with something really really cool and really unique so i think these are the two most important components rather than like a specific genre and a specific project yeah because i think genres and project they give you the creative juice to come up with something you know new from from you're, yourself you're failing Jordan. i'm failing on you're this failing one, on this one. <laughs> you're just no <laughs> i did better you I did think. better you did better you did better <laughs> No, nobody fails on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that. No, th thank you so much for that um, very, very uh, detailed answer and uh, Jonah for, for your attempt at least. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the attempt, yes. <laughs> no, Sonia explained very well what I was trying to do, but the words didn't come out, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did better. <laughs> which, which, which I think are really, really good closing thoughts. All I can say is that uh, I, from the moment the series was announced i was incredibly curious about the score uh, thinking about what it could sound like and it sounded like kind of like okay this this is the right approach but it, it sounded just like so much more dense and epic and detailed than i expected you really went for it and like i said it was one of my favorite soundtracks of 2019 and I am really looking forward to the announced second season and uh, really, really curious about what all the people, including you, will bring to it in terms of story, characters, scope and, of course, music. <laughs>
so far so good. Final, final question. Where can people find you and your stuff online if they want to check it out? Uh, everywhere and anywhere. So if we're talking about social media, well, Jonah is not a social human being, so he's not on social media. No, I'm a social <laughs> human being. Yes, I am. But, you know, since Sonia, <laughs> she's very active on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and we don't want to split, you know, where people find news about herself. Uh, we decided that Sonia is going to maintain that. No, and That's true. That was my less yes. diplomatic way of answering that question. Yes. So... <laughs> yes. So if we're talking about social media, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. So fans can find us anywhere on social media. Uh, and if they want to reach specifically to Jonah, they can also do it through my social media. Uh, if we're talking about music, absolutely everywhere. Spotify, YouTube. Yeah, The Witcher soundtrack is available in every single format possible right now. So it's available digitally, <laughs> available on every single streaming platform. Yeah, Spotify, YouTube, Deezer, like everything. I don't even remember which other ones exist. So <laughs> all, all of the ones that exist, The Witcher soundtrack is there. Uh, the Witcher soundtrack has already been released on CD and we have just released the soundtrack on the vinyl. So uh, I believe it's already available internationally. And if it's not available in your country yet, it will be very, very soon. Uh, so the vinyl, it's a double vinyl. Uh, and we actually, by the way, we have included a bonus track on the vinyl, uh, which is not available on the digital release. So the song that we have included is called You Think You're Safe. It's one of the songs that we wrote and produced for Jaskier. And it's the song that basically serves as an introduction for Jaskier because that's the very first song that he sings when we meet Jaskier. So this song is now available on the vinyl. Furthermore, uh, for those lucky ones who already got their vinyls, uh, we have also included all the lyrics to all the songs that we wrote. And they're all right now available in one place right on the vinyl. Well, except probably the end's beginning because that one... Those were not transcribable. Those, those were not transcribable lyrics. But no. all the other lyrics, <laughs> all the other lyrics except that song, they're all available uh, inside the vinyl. Um, yeah, so the vinyl is out. Everything is out. And uh, more news, by the way. So next year, we're going to be performing at the... Krakow Film Music Festival. We were supposed to perform there already this year, but, you know, the virus happened, so the performance, unfortunately, has been postponed. So we're really looking forward to traveling to Krakow next year. We will be performing a suite from The Witcher. Uh, the performance will, will happen with the full orchestra, the full choir, uh, and we will also have both Declan Debarra and Lindsay Deutsch, who performed all the virtuosic violin solos on the soundtrack. They will both be traveling with us to Krakow uh, and they will join us on stage next year. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, so for those of you who want to dive more into our music, we're excited to welcome you to that concert next year so we can all sing together Toss a Coin to Your Witcher with the full choir. <laughs> and not only, you know, if you stay tuned, we might announce some other dates of some other concerts, maybe. Yeah, we might announce. We might. We might announce something else very soon. So yeah, back to social media. If you're not following us on social media yet, follow us so you can stay up to date with all the awesome news that we have going on. That's amazing because I think one of the most torturous times I've ever had was actually waiting 
a whole month before the proper score album came out on <laughs> for the witcher because i uh, as soon as i watched the first episode i was immediately like i i've got to have this music and then it, it took a little bit of time for the album to get released and i actually pre-ordered it as soon as something came up on itunes i, I pre-ordered it because i just couldn't wait and uh, then i was absolutely shocked by it by like this three hour album, which I found incredibly generous, which which was like something, you know, usually this is some, some kind of like a bonus expanded thing that comes out years later. But you know, and I mean, it's it's not all the music featured in the, in the show, like you said, it's something like eight hours, but this is it's just so much and it's so rich. And I was I was so incredibly thankful. And then the CD release happened and I got that as well. And the bonus tracks also featured there. And that was a very, very pleasant surprise. And being able to read along with the lyrics and all of it. So I, I can only say thank you so much for those very, very generous and great releases of this absolutely stunning music. <laughs> oh, thank you. Look, thank you for us. When you know we released first the digital music, the digital album, it was very important that we were going to release that amount of music because we knew that the fans, you know, all of you were very passionate about it. And for us, it was imperial that we, we would give back to you guys. And, because and inc include as much music as we could. And also that goes back to the question of reading the comments from fans. Yeah. Because we were aware that fans were looking forward to that music and want you to have as much music included as possible. So we squeezed as much as we possibly could in that digital Yeah, release. and we, you know, we, we, we battled a lot. I mean, we, we fought a lot to have as much music in because we were like, we need to, you know, give back to the fans and, you know, they are so appreciative of the music and they are so supportive and like, we cannot just release 30 minutes or 40 minutes. So it was imperative to us to have as, in a way, as complete as possible. Yeah you know, the album. <laughs> uh, and of course, it's not a complete all album. Yes, exactly. The whole score is over eight hours long, but there is just no way you can include something like that. On we any, tried, but... On any sort of release. <laughs> yeah, we tried, actually. To tell you the truth, the original selection was, I think, over four hours in length. Yes. We had to trim it down. It was just getting too long, but I think three hours is a great middle ground, and I think it makes a very entertaining album. Mm -hmm. And we did carefully select the tracks and try to include all the best ones. So we're just really grateful for all your kind words, and it means a lot to us that everyone has enjoyed the score and the soundtrack album so much. Yeah, it's it's really wonderful. Yes, it is. Which brings me to a funny story because um, I, when the digital release came out, I listened to all of that in one go, and uh, based on the notes I made, I uh, I wrote my German soundtrack review for my blog, and I mentioned that sometimes an album of this length can be horrifying to some people <laughs> who just want to, want to listen to, to to the music. So I. I basically chose certain tracks which I thought were absolutely essential for a great listening experience that covered everything just for the people who were just curious about the score and wanted to check it out and highlighted the cues in the track list. And then your CD release happened and you pretty much concentrated mostly on those tracks as well. And then I was wondering, did they see my list? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think we did, but great minds think alike. <laughs> that, oh, that's a great honor that you say that. <laughs> but we're also following pretty closely, you know, in general, the reviews and, you know, the 
fans fan base response to different tracks uh, when we had to cut down the digital release for the CD yeah we were very cautious uh, to include the tracks that you know have been gaining the most popularity by that point you did a fantastic job uh, choosing those and it was absolutely absolutely amazing so far so good all i can say is thank you so much for the opportunity uh, having you as guests on here i had uh, a blast with your answers thank you so much for taking the time i couldn't be more happy it's always a great honor to talk to the composers who created the music i love and um, I, i i just all i can say is again thank you thank you thank you so much <laughs> oh thank you so much it was such a wonderful time talking with you sharing all the uh All the trivia. All the trivia. Yeah, I was missing the words. All the trivia behind, all the behind the scenes of how the score came to life. Lasse, thank you so much for inviting us. I think we had such a wonderful time yes, going back and revisiting, you know, all the creative process behind all the tracks. And there's just so much music in the show. I don't think even one hour is enough to talk about everything. So I hope we, you know, we try to give everyone as much, you know, in-depth details and cool details as possible within the time frame. I think, yeah, a conversation about everything, everything would probably take days <laughs> to dive into, you know, every single little thing and thought that we had, you know, throughout the whole soundtrack. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. We had such a wonderful time and thank you for such wonderful questions. Really, it was really great. Th thanks again. Really, really glad you liked them. Dear listeners, if you want to hear more of this stuff, you can listen to Fans About Films on iTunes and SoundCloud. I co-host It's a 90s Christmas podcast with Lyle Perez on Podomatic and also iTunes. I have a YouTube channel, The Deppert. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Lasse Vogt. I am part of a German uh, podcast collective, uh, Telestammtisch, where we talk about movies ahead of release and uh, recommend it to people or don't recommend it. Um, I am also uh, writing German soundtrack reviews on scoregeek.wordpress.com. And I think that pretty much covers all of it. And like uh, like I said again, the, the site uh, sadly has no name yet, but it's it's the site with a virtual orchestra and it's gonna uh, come out soon and it's gonna feature other podcast episodes by me. But that's not the point. The point is for this episode, The Witcher, the wonderful music and the great and awesome composers, Sonia and uh, Jonah, thank you again so much. Have a wonderful day and... Dear listeners, also to you a wonderful day and good night. Yay, have a good night, everyone. Good to have Thank you so much. <laughs> 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 <laughs>